This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Before we get, we get to Pasha Lech Lecha, we really were a week behind because we started. We spoke last week about Pasha Bereshis. So there's a Medjish Tanchuma, Pasha Lech Lecha, which I learn with you every year, and Pasha Noach, which I learn with you every year. So it's every year. So let's take a let's let's learn this inside. So it says in the Pasik, after Noah came out of the table, so he brought a carbon. He also, we know, he planted a vineyard. And the Pasik says it in a very debasing way. It says, Vayochel Noach Ishwadama. And Noach debased himself, embarrassed himself, a man of the of the dirt, of the soil. Noach, as we know in the beginning of Pasha's Noach, was definitely a different description, right? It was Noach Ish Tzadik. And now you're calling him a man of the dirt. What happened? That the Torah's description of this man has changed so drastically. So the Medrash Tanchuma tells us a very fascinating story. It's very important because one of the most terrible things that's happening in Judaism today is that wherever you go, young people, really mainly young people, some older guys, I'm not going to say only young people, are becoming alcoholics. Now, the biggest excuse that's given to me is I'm not an alcoholic. How do I know I'm not an alcoholic? Because I only drink on Shabbos. Plus an alcoholic, an alcoholic always has, always needs a drink, Right? So I only drink on Shabbos. So I only drink on Shabbos. I'm not an alcoholic. Meanwhile, these guys drink every single Shabbos. They go from Kiddush to Kiddush. Or they go from house to house. Or they're from Rebbe to Rebbe. And that's what they do. They drink themselves under the table. And that's Shabbos. Shabbos is getting drunk. This was not existent. Not existent when I was growing up. The one thing that the Goyim said about the Jews is that you never see a drunk Jew. You would go on the Bowery, you wouldn't see Jews laying, you know, drunk. You didn't see drunk Jews, yes. Chesidish people, uh, they used to make a lechayim after davening, a little sliverwitz, you know, a little plum brandy, but a little teeny shot, not half a bottle. And and that was it. They made a lechayim to each other, and then they went home. And that's a beautiful minute, Lemaissa, because it's brought down in the Tavim and Hagim that um, the Satan, the Malachim Avos, complains to Hashem, that the Hasidim all say L'chaim to each other. So if he's sent that day to take the soul of a Jew and another Jew wishes him L'chaim, he can't take it that day. And by the way, that's where the minute the Hasidim have it from. So that's why they all say L'chaim to each other. But L'chaim on a, on, in a morning, one little schnapsel, well, I'm not telling you to do that, but that's very different than, um, than becoming a drinker. And, and it's very cool to all the cool guys today to show off that they understand the difference between a single malt and a mixed malt and a smoky one and a non-smoky one. And I was in the liquor store on Avenue J a few weeks ago on a Friday to buy some wine. And there was like a whole drusha. There were two guys sitting there. There was a drusha. And it was there, there, they were looking at a $350 bottle of scotch. And it's, you know, how old is it? You know, and I was like thinking to myself, like, they hold Shmona Esther Lechupa. That, that the, the, the bottle of Glen Fittage has to be 18 years old, or you can't bring it to the wedding. You know what I mean? And the whole translation, it's Glen Fittage and it's blue. Blue's already, blue's already nothing. It's, it's only $250 a bottle. But, and you know, and it's Scottish and it's smoky and it's peaty and it's, oh, and the mamas sound like Goyim, you know, peaty and Scotty and this one and that one. And they call, and became a whole mice, it became a whole, a whole thing of class. If you, if you, if you know your Scotch, right? Then you're then then you're, then you're part of the gang, and it's a terrible thing because it's not a Jewish thing. We're not shikurim, and and Nebuchadnezzar Shabbos you see so many guys that um, it's in style. It's it's where it's at. You know, if you go to a guy's uh, even to go to a guy's wedding. When I made my wedding, it was alcohol free, and people were complaining, complaining. How could you not have any alcohol? So I put uh, Nebuchadnezzar on them. I put wine, the blue wine, which is three four percent. On the table, so that you know, if you want to drink wine, it's one thing. You're very, how could how could you not have a, a rolling bar? And that's not a bar. It has to be a rolling bar. So I don't have to get out of my chair to get it. It has to come to me. You understand? And it became a homeshigas. And really, there's a very interesting 
uh, Medrash Tanchuma uh, about it. You know, I, I always tell you the story, and I, and I think it's very important. We're, we're, we're going a little bit, Judea, the Jewish nation is going through a little bit of a hard time, definitely financially. Um, altogether, it's very scary times. You know, there are kids coming up to me, my own daughter, and she's like all scared, and what's going to happen? And I hear Mashiach is coming, and everyone's going to die. And what are we going to do? And one guy told me he went out and bought a rifle. And one guy told me, I'm serious, he bought a rifle. And downstairs in his house, he has huge bottles of water and cans. And he's saving up because when the Holocaust happens, he's going to, he's not going down. He's going to protect his family. If he goes down, he's taking some of them with us. I'm like, what are you talking about? Where, where is this coming that when Mashiach comes, you're going to need a gun and a rifle? And you think a gun and a rifle is going to help you? In, in, in the Holocaust, he asked the Jews that were saved. There wasn't one Jew saved because he killed a Nazi. He was saved because Hashem made, gave him advice to jump off a truck, to jump off a, a train, to hide under this, to hide under that. If Hashem wants you to be saved, you don't need a rifle. But this guy was telling me, he had a whole speech, he says, he says, Wallstein, and this is a normal guy. He says, you need to buy a gun. Better you buy a sort of shotgun because that way if they come through the front door, you can take eight of them out at one time. <laughs> and uh, so he told me, you, need, you can get a sort of shotgun, you can get a license. If you go up, if you go up to the cat schools, you can get a license. And then, listen, cash is not going to be worth anything. You have to have gold. You better go buy gold and you have to have gold. You have to have gold. And in your basement, you better have water because if it's nuclear, all the water is going to be, but if you have it in your basement. I'm like, what are you talking about? What, you know, what? Where is this coming from? Because people are, feel in the air, they feel in the air that there's sometimes something's coming that we just don't understand, something above and beyond. You know, we understand the stock market, we understand the real estate market, and we understand money, we think, and we understand all this stuff, but Mashiach, we don't understand, so it's a very scary thing. And I'm like, what are you so scared about? What are you worried? Do you think Hashem's just gonna turn around? And if Hashem turns around, you think your stupid little shotgun is gonna, is, is gonna save you? It's not gonna save you anyway. We're going into a time. The Zayah is very clear in Pashas Vayeshev when he talks about Mashiach. That the, that the times of Mashiach is going to be a time where there's nothing else to depend on. Not the President of the United States, not your money, not your democracy, and nothing else. You're going to have to come to Hashem. And that should not be a scary thing. It should be a very welcome, delicious, unbelievable, fantastic thing. That you're going to come to Hashem. It's about time. So there's nothing to be scared of. Everyone's very scared tonight and sure, whatever. Everybody's very scared if he becomes president. What are you scared of? So then you, the United States won't be what it was till now. Whatever it is. I just want to know why nobody thought Mashiach was coming when we were doing well. Nobody. When everybody was was getting free mortgages and the mortgage guys were making and the guys were flipping their real estate and and Everybody was making money. Nobody got up and said, Mashiach's coming. I'm, wor- I'm worried. They were just busy on how they could flip it again and flip it again and make more money. All of a sudden, Hashem's like, Hashem's in Shemaya. I'm like, all of a sudden, everybody's calling for Mashiach. Where were you guys five years ago? It's the same Hashem. It hasn't changed. The same Hashem five years ago, when you were making a lot of money, the same Hashem when you're not, maybe it's not the same you, but it's the same God. The same guy, Obama's president, Bush's president, Carter's president, Nixon's Reagan, Don Kennedy. God doesn't change. So maybe it's a very good thing that people are now beginning to dive into Hashem to realize that what they thought was their security is no longer their security. And that has a lot to do with this week's Pasha. Because in this week's Pasha... Because Baruch Hu said there's two parts to getting close to me. The first part is you got to leave what you're used to. The second part is to go to the land that I will show you. When a person wants to get close to God, there's two parts to it. You first got to shed the old you. And the new you will find Hashem. And Hashem will find you. But if you don't shed the old you... And that was the difference between Abraham and Lot. Lot did not do, did not leave the old him. He just went along, which I'll show you in the Pasuk. He just went along with Abraham Avinu, but he didn't get rid of his old stuff. So it's sort of like that story I told you before, Rosh Hashanah, where the peasant comes to buy a suit, and the tailor tells him you're a size 40 regular, and he gives him 10 suits that are size 40 regular, and the guy keeps saying, my suit doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. And the guy's like, I'm a tailor, I know what I'm talking about. And he says, I'm telling you, they're all too small on me. So he can't figure it out. Finally, he goes, the tailor goes into the 
dressing room and he sees this stupid peasant from the farm is trying to put the size 40 new suit over his old suit. And he's like, no, 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 no. You got to get undressed into your underwear. And then you got to put on the new suit. If you don't take off the old suit, the new suit doesn't fit. So, in Pasha's Lechlecha, what Hashem was telling Avraham Avinu is, even though where you are now, you are the big Balchuba Yeshiva. He was being Makar of everybody. He was just, they all thought he became God. They threw him into a fire, right? In last week's Pasha, he came out alive. Hey, this is the best time to stay there. Hashem said, no. Because what I need you to do is to change the world. And from where you are now, you cannot change the world. You have to leave this this uh, country and your father's place of selling Avayi Zara and selling TV sets and, and DVDs, and you have to go to a new land, which I'm going to show you. So the, the first thing that a person needs to know is to get close to Hashem, he has to lose some of his old beliefs, the mighty buck, the mighty government, and all this stuff, right? We're being forced, sort of, to realize that it's not there for us. And it's not about us. And it's not a land. This is not Eretz Yisrael. This is not a land that belongs to the Jews. We are guests. We are in Gullus. Okay? There's no Jew, there's no Jew that could run for president that would win like this man is winning. It's, there's no way. There's no way that he would get, I don't think, a state. Because we're not, it's not a country of Jews. And we need to realize that. And therefore, Hashem is sort of pushing us out of what we're used to towards Him. That is not a scary thing. That is not a scary thing. If your father, when you were a little kid, put on a beer costume, right? On Purim, and you're a little kid, it's very scary. My father used to do that to my to my kids, his grandchildren. And it, 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 he used to go to this place, costume place, and their mamish gave you things that you really look like the real thing. Not a $5, real, real thing. And he scared them. But at the same time that he scared them, and as scared as they were, when he pulled off the mask and they saw who he was, it was like, oh, it's, it's, it's my, it's my Zaydi. We might be scared right now, but just make sure when Hashem pulls off the mask that you see Hashem and you realize that we're just being scared to get closer to Him. And it is a very scary time, and I'm not going to tell you that it's not. And for Avraham Avinu, Lech Lecha, was a very, very scary time because he had to leave. I'm not telling, this is not a shir that you should leave. It's not what I'm talking about. But we have to leave our old behaviors. Uh, some guy told me today that some rabbi got up and he said, that's it, we got to go. And two, two people in the shul got up the next day and put their houses up for sale. And they're moving to Israel. I'm like, I think it's a little drastic, you know, but, you know, people are getting very, very scared. And, and I think that you need to be scared of Hashem. That's the only thing you need to be scared of. And you have to have your eyes open, whatever it is, but this is the times of Mashiach, and this is what's written that's going to happen. The Zayah was very clear that this is what's going to happen, but it's not a time to get scared. It's a time to daven Shemana Esrei a little longer. It's a time to put your tzitzes on every day. It's a time to put your tzitzes on every day. Just in case Mashiach comes in the middle of the afternoon or at night and says, okay, all those who put their tzitzes on this morning, you're with me. The rest of you, sorry. Right? Make sure you put your tillin on in the morning. Make sure you put your tzitzes on. Get closer to Hashem. It's a great time. It's a time to get closer to Hashem. That's what you do with Mashiach. You know, don't be scared. Be prepared. It's my new logo. My new... Everybody's scared. Be prepared. But we don't want to be prepared. We want Mashiach. Like this. It's work. It's work. Chevle Mashiach. It's the birthing pains. It hurts. It's work. Every guy has to work on himself. That... That he gets closer to Hakadosh Baruch Okay, so there's a subject matter that I want to talk about tonight, which we'll talk about at the end, um, and then maybe we'll disconnect for a couple of minutes from our communications. Um, there's a very important subject, which is this week, the end of this week's parsha. Before we get to that subject, I'd like to read you a medrash, an amazing medrash about drinking, about drinking. So the reason that the Torah takes Noah from Ish Tzadik, Tomim B'day Reisav, to Ish Adama, from the top to the bottom, from a Tzadik to a piece of dirt, he says the following. Amar Rav Yehuda, the son of Rav Shulam, Shalom. B'tchila Ish Tzadik Tamim, he was a Tzadik. Vayita Kerem, when he came out of the table, he planted 
a vineyard. When he planted this vineyard, he was called the man of the ground. So he says the following. He says the following story. Listen carefully. The, the twig that he used to plant the twig, the, uh, to plant the vineyard, came from Ganeiden, the Medrash says. Now, anything in Ganeiden had the power, when Mashiach comes, will be the same thing. The day it's planted is the day it grows, is the day that it gives fruit. Okay? That was the way it was. Before the chait, actually even after the chait, before the marvel, the day a woman conceived, the day she became pregnant, she gave birth to an adult. Okay? That's how it was in the beginning of the world. Then it got totally changed. And when Mashiach comes, the world is going to turn back to... I think my little thought on it is that the world that we live, which is not Olam Haba, the world to come, is a world of time. In a world of no time, so there's no separation between when you plant it, when you become pregnant, to the when you give birth, to when you grow. Because growth and pregnancy and all the things that happen, because it takes time. But if there is no time, then it all happens at the same moment. So if Mashiach's Olam Habal, the world to come, will bring us back to the world that was, then the world to come will be exactly the same way. So this twig that he took out of Ganeiden, he, of the, of the vine, of the grapevine, he planted. So he says, Boy Bayayim Nata, that day he planted. Boy Bayayim Asaparis, that day he gave fruit. Boy Bayayim Batsa, that day he harvested. Boy Bayayim Darach, that, that day he stepped on and he squeezed out the juices. Boy Bayayim Shasa, it became wine. It wasn't grape juice, it became wine. That day he drank it, boy by yom nishtaker, that day he became shikr, boy by yom nishkala kolainai, that day his embarrassment was revealed. Omar Rabbi Seinu Zechreinu Lebracha, listen to this story. Kishabah noyach lita kerem, so noach was out there, he's going to plant a vineyard. Masotan, shalom aleichem, a good bottle of wine, who shows up? Satan, the devil. And he stood in front of Noah. Interesting, guys, because it's like my share that I always talk to you about. Interesting how the Satan starts with the person. Right? He seems to start with the person the same way all the time. How did he start with, how did he start with Chava? Right? He started with Chava. So what's going on? So what's uh, the story with all the trees in the, in the world? So he comes to, now he knows everything. He's a Malach, right? He comes to Noach, and he says, Ma tanatea, what are you planting? Snake, uh, you know, snake, you know what I'm planting. What, what, what are you hacking? The beginning of the Avera begins with a discussion. Whether it's an Avera where Nebuchadnezzar ends up talking to someone who doesn't believe in God and turns you into an atheist, which I've, which I've seen happen, or it's talking to a girl, right, where it's just a discussion she gets you into. Oh, I see a religious... Um, you know, I'm not Jewish. Maybe you could explain to me that thing on your head that you wear. Why do you wear it? Do you have horns? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, you know, if the tea's hot, do you use it as a coaster? You know, they like to joke around. You know, what do you, what's that thing that you wear? And you're like, oh, I'm going to tell her. And Chassam, at least to the worst relationships and the worst of era. The Satan begins, what are you doing? Talk to me about what you're doing. I'm low. So Noah, instead of saying, get out of here, what are you doing? This is my private wine, you know. He says, Karen. He answers him. Like she did. I'm planting a vineyard. Oh my low, says the devil, Mativai. What's the good of grapes? Why? Why are you planting this? Why aren't you planting an orange tree or a grapefruit tree? Oh my low, doesn't answer him right away. Oh my low, Noach says, hey, this guy's trying to like move in on my wine over here, you know? Oh my low, Perosa Mesukim, because uh, grapes are very sweet. Ben Lachim, Ben Yaveshim. If you like them dry, like raisins, if you like them wet, give him a whole schmooze. He didn't ask him for a whole schmooze, right? Give him a whole schmooze. Then he said the following. And you know what else they do? They make wine. He told the devil, the Sata, Noach, that you know what wine does? Wine makes a person's heart happy. Wine does not make a person's heart happy. 
drugs and alcohol do not make a person happy. They make a person high. What does that mean, they make them high? They make the person numb. They make them not feel anything that's going on. They take them out of reality. They don't make you happy. Because most drunks when, or drug addicts, when they come out of their drunkenness or drug use, are very, very depressed. Like anyone who knows, who smokes, yeah, whatever, knows that as high as you get, you come smashing down. That down is a very tough place to be. Not that I know one, just here. I don't know anything about it. But So if, you were ha- if you're happy, then there's no down. Person was happy. He's happy all the time. So anything that causes you to be happy, and the minute that thing is over, there's a missionary in Pirkei Elvis that says, "Call Ava Any any love that's connected to the item that you love, Take away the item. There goes the love. So, if the bottle of wine is what makes you happy, take away the bottle of wine. You're not happy anymore. So that's not really happiness. But Nayak told the Yetzahara that wine... We're going to talk about it. The wine makes a person happy. Oh! The Sultan said, Partner! I like happy. I want to be a partner in happy. Amalai Satan, The Sultan says to Nayak, Ba, come here! Let's become partners in this vineyard. Amalo. So Noach said to him, it's a fascinating medrash, guys, because this was, I didn't know this until I learned this. Where does this business of when you take a glass of wine, you say l'chaim? L'toiv, l'simcha. Why l'chaim? The first glass of wine that was drunk between these two guys, the medrash says that when, he, when the, when the Satan came to Noach and said to Noach, I want to be a partner in your vineyard, Armalo, he didn't say Cain. He didn't say yes. He said Lechaye. That was his answer. Lechayim. We're partners. Oh. Now, Noah planted it. The grapes grew. The wine's good, right? Everything's fine. What is the Satan going to bring to the partnership? He's going to do the bottling? He's going to do the distribution? What was he bringing to the partnership? Armalay, he said, okay, listen to what I'm going to do. Ma'asa Satan. What did the Satan do? Heavy Kevesh. He brought a lamb. Baharogo, he killed the lamb. Takas Hagefen, underneath the, the vine of grapes. Achakach, heavy Ari, he brought a lion. Baharogo, Isham, and he killed the lion underneath the grapes. Achakach, heavy Chazir. After that, he brought a pig, and he killed it underneath the grapes. he killed it underneath the grapes. Achakach, heavy Kaif, he found the monkey that came out of the table. Baharogo, and he killed it. Takas Hakerem. Underneath the grave, the Hitifu Dhammam, he took all their blood, all the blood, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lion, the blood of the pig, and the blood of the monkey. There's a Khumi, you can look it up. The Hitifu Dhamm he took all that blood and he poured it into the ground of that vine. Fishkuba de Mayhem, and the vine grew further from that blood of all these different animals. What do you do this for? The wines were growing anyway. What did he do this for? Says the Medrash Tanchum, unbelievable. The Satan put these four powers into wine, into liquor. What did he do? He said like this. Before a person gets drunk, he drinks from the wine. You're a nice guy like a lamb. Everything's fine. You know, you come to the bar, you come whatever it is. You're a nice guy. How you doing, everybody? Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Before the drinking. The regular guy in shul. Right? Before the, before the kiddush club. Everything's good. Fine. He says it's like a lamb before it's sheared. Before you take its wool off. Hey, he's, 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 he's in good spirits. Everything's fine. If he drinks a nice amount, what happens to him? How you give a curry? This is a medrash. It's so amazing. You read this in AA, they, they, they freak out. Because it's, it's amazing. It's written in medrash, medrash It's written a very long time ago. It says, 
When you drink, you start drinking the wine, what happens to you? You become like a lion. I know kids, they don't, they don't even look you in the eye. Give them a little bit to drink and all of a sudden it's like, yo, I can do anything. Rabbi, whatever you want, I can do anything. The guy's a lemon, like, can't do anything. Give him a little wine. And also he's a lion. Never, guys, you know, they, on Shabbos, they treat their wives like this, you know. They're quiet guys, whatever it is. They start to drink at the table. And all of a sudden, they're talking to their wife without, without their cheret. Because, uh, because uh, ah, I can do anything. You get that feeling, that wine, the, you know, the liquor, whatever is in your blood. You begin to be, begin to think that you are something that you're not. So he says that the, the, the satan put that, how that happen? Because really, without the satan doing all this, you would drink wine, and I, I don't think anything would happen to you. It would just be a nice tasting wine, like you drink orange juice or milk or whatever it is. You wouldn't become shikr. But once, once Noah said, I want it to be something that's going to make you happy, so he already put in the line. Okay, so you drank, now you're walking around. Check me out, man. Check me out, you know. And I love these guys. You should never do this because I tell all the girls in Ornava, and that's like 3,000 of them. I said, if your guy comes over to you by a wedding and he talks to you, and he's, and he's got that glass, you know, in between the fingers in the middle, and he's swishing. And he say, hi, hi, how are you? My name's Chaim. Run. Because if he can't talk to you without that glass of wine in his fingers, and I want to tell you something, this guy has absolutely no self-esteem. Because his whole self-esteem is, ooh, swishing. Probably doesn't even like the wine, right? Swishing. I love these guys. You know, open, they smell the court. They want to be like Goyim. Like Goyim, you know, like he smells the court. Yeah, what? You know what you mean? That smell and, and cream Malaga? Come on. You don't know the difference. Well, uh, smell, you go to restaurants today, and you open up the thing, and you see, you go to a kosher restaurant, they have a $135 bottle of wine. And, and there's certain restaurants in Manhattan that have $250, you know, bottle of scotch, or a $75 cup of glass of scotch. Where does this come into to our, to who we are? When did this, when did this happen? When did this happen? I as a kid, or forget as a kid, 20 years ago, you went to a restaurant, Malaga, cream Malaga, Kedem, where did you have a $175 bottle of wine? If you put that, if, if someone would put that down on a, on a, on a menu, the whole place would get up and walk out. A chutzpah? So, a bottle of wine for $175? Now, guy comes in, he wants to impress his friends. No, we have to have $250 bottle of scotch and a couple of cigars. Who do you think you are? Cause you, cause you sit in La Marais in, in, in Manhattan? And you're smoking a cigar upstairs with a bottle of scotch? You think you're something different than who you really are? That's fake. It means you have no, no self. That, 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 that the, the cigar in your mouth and the, and the bottle and, and the glass in your hand, that's who you are. That's what you're screaming at everybody. I'm nobody. Look at the fat cigar in my mouth. Where, who, where do you come to a cigar? What do you know about a cigar? What are you doing with a cigar? People ask me, why did you, why did you smoke? You know, I was the kind of kid that would smoke. All my friends smoked. Why did you smoke, Wallstein? I don't understand that you didn't smoke. You were one of the guys. I didn't need to smoke. I was a hockey player. I was a basketball player. To become one of the guys, I have to take a cigarette, some toilet paper with some, some brown lettuce that's dry, crumpled up, that someone sold you on an advertisement that you should ingest into your lungs. Don't tell me, some guys tell me, oh, really, I like smoke. You like smoke? What are you wasting your time? Cost $10 a pack? Hang out with me. We'll go to the fire station on 4th Avenue, right? And when they go to their first fire and the house is burning, we'll go in there and you'll ingest a big fat, you know, enough smoke that they got to put you in the hospital in an iron lung. Now you got a hit. That's a hit. What are you wasting? One little cigarette at a time. Stupid. (laughs) Nobody likes smoke. Nobody likes smoke. It's baloney. But you started smoking because you didn't feel that you belonged. You didn't have what it takes to belong. So you had to sit on the corner and, uh, he's smoking. Yeah, kids don't even know what end of the cigarette to put in their mouth, right? And they're standing there and they're flicking. I love this. 14-year-old kids and they're flicking. I'm like, well, what? You're nothing. You're nobody. You're a stupid piece of toilet paper with some, with some grass in it, with smoke coming out of it. That's all you want. That's what I see. You know, and then that, that, uh, now, what's it called? That relationship. I love that relationship. Like, any Jewish guy, you know? You feel different, whatever it is. You can go over to any guy in the street and, like, uh, take your cigarette and bend over and say, you know, could you light me up? I don't have a light. You know, and their eyes meet in the dark. It's, like, beautiful, you know? The two smokers. And you feel this connection. Nobody will ever tell you I won't give you a light. 
They might want to kill you, but if you ask them for a light before they kill you, they'll give you a light. There's no, nothing to talk about, right? And you can go over to a guy that's ready to punch you, and if you're a smoker, and you say, hey, man, you got a cigarette, they'll give you a cigarette. They don't punch you. Well, they'll give you a cigarette because that's like the unwritten law. So it makes you belong. So think about it. You belong because you have something in your mouth and you're blowing a lot of smoke. Liquor and drugs, these are, these are, these, are, these, 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 what these are saying to people is that you don't, you have no self. If you have self, you don't need these things. And if you get, and, and if you don't get rid of these things, you don't get self because that's your common denominator. And I need a cigarette because all the guys are smoking. So you're actually killing yourself, knowing that it can cause lung cancer, knowing that you may not see your children and grandchildren, but it's worth it because it makes me belong. And it's a, it's a very terrible thing. And, and the, the problem is that today a lot of our children are starting at 13 or 14. They don't feel that they belong because their parents are not telling them how special they are without a cigarette. So if you tell me all day long that I'm no good and I'm not good and I don't, I don't belong, and then some kids will say, listen, if you smoke with us, you're one of us, it happens, and it's happening at 12, 13 years old. And it's a very, very bad thing. And it started a very long time ago. Because even the 14-year-old kid who gets drunk or gets a cigarette in his mouth, all of a sudden he's got, he's got lip. You know, I talk to kids, and I, I know kids that, you know, never answered me back. But the minute they start smoking a cigarette, and it's like, on one side of the mouth, the other side of the mouth starts talking differently. <laughs> totally differently than it used to talk. Because now, this cigarette makes me part of the camel Marlboro guys, and the Marlboro guy is a cowboy. Right? You see the advertisement? Guy's tough-looking guy, weather-beaten with the hat now, with the saddle. So now the cigarette in my mouth, I'm a cowboy, Rabbi. No, you're a 13-year-old punk, right? That you're scared to get on a horse. Don't tell me you're a cowboy. It all of a sudden makes you a cowboy. So, so this liquor, this wine, the first thing it does to a person is it takes away who you are and it makes you into a lion. All of a sudden, you're the king of the jungle. He says, but the Satan wasn't happy with it. That would have been enough. The Satan wasn't happy with that. He says, drink a little bit more. And then, the next thing he did, hey, I'm going to read to you from inside. Who, Giba Kari, I'm a lion. There's no one like me in the whole world. Now when he takes, of course, the reason that you become drunk is because after three drinks, you don't, there's nothing to hold you back from drinking anymore. Because your senses aren't there anymore. And for some reason, guys who don't drink love to get guys who do drink drunk. It gives them a little, yeah, it gives them a little, like, look how stupid he looks. That makes me look smart. It's a different sheer. But the guy who pours the drinks on, on Simchas Taira and on Purim and Shul, that guy don't drink. He gets enjoyment of watching you act like an idiot. Because it makes him feel less of an idiot. Serious. Different problem. That's not, that's not what we're talking about over here. But here, so he says, what's the next step? Now the guy drinks more. Since the Sultan put the blood of the Chazir into the grapes, now you become a pig. I'm reading to you from inside. Mislachlech mimeraglayim. You urinate on yourself. Ubedova acher. And you make number two on yourself. Nishtaker, if you continue to drink. And I'm sure you've seen drunks, right, in the Bowery and other places. And Nebuch, they don't, they can't control their bladder, they can't control themselves. So this guy who was a normal Shepsala is now a lion. On top of a lion, he can't control his bodily functions. And the Sultan's having a really good time watching this. Not enough. The last thing he did is he took the blood of a monkey. And he put that into the grapes. Says the Medrash Tanchuma. Now he drinks even more. Nasik Kaif. He becomes a monkey. Oime, he gets up. This is, this is a Medrash. Umarake, he begins to dance. I'm sure you've seen this. Umasake, he begins to laugh and make jokes. Umaitzilus Neakol, Nablusape. And he begins to curse. He begins to, he's calling every symptom, this medrash, every single symptom. And he begins to curse. For any of them, I ask, and he doesn't know what to do. And this all came because Noah decided to take in a partner because he made a big mistake. And the lesson that I'm trying to teach here is that if he would have just told him that I'm making wine, that would have been fine. There was no, there's no partnership for the Sultan in making wine. He doesn't want to be a distributor. But the minute he said the opening, 
that liquor and these things really make a heart happy, then the Sultan said, well, if you think that, then let's make him a lot happier, and I'm going to become a partner. Now, you can ask me a question, right? That wine garden is the heart, of a, the heart of a man. So if you take out, this is a Medrash Tan Chuma. You take out a Medrash Rabbah, Medrash Rabbah says a story a little different. The Medrash Rabbah says that it was a Shindalad that came to Noach. It was a Malach from the other side. And that the Shindalach made, Shindalad made a deal. Same thing with the four animals that he shechted. And he told Noach that when the Jewish people, I know the Jewish people, Kiddush is on wine, a wedding is on wine, a bris is on wine, Pidyon Ben is on wine, right? Shabbos is on wine. So how could you tell me about Wallstein all this bad thing about wine? So the Shindalat said the deal is like this. As long as you use the wine for a mitzvah and you use it under control, I and the Satan, we have no connection to that wine. That wine cannot hurt the person. So, but when you use it outside of a mitzvah, when you go to a bar, you're using it outside of a mitzvah, and you're using it even in a mitzvah but too much, then we have control. That's what the Medrash Rabbah says. So a person has to, the first thing a person has to know, I'm not giving you Musr, I'm giving you advice. I'm not giving you Musr, I'm not one to give you Musr. I'm not telling you what to do. But the first thing a person needs, needs to know is that in order to improve yourself, you have to go away from some of your learned behaviors, some of the stuff that you're used to. You have to step away from it. Before you're able to find HaKash Baruch and to get close to him. Whether it's the internet, whether it's the music you listen to, whether it's the girls, whatever, whatever you're involved in, it's very hard to go to the land of Shara Eka, which, to go to the place that you belong, without leaving the place that you have to leave. Lot, if you look in the Pasuk, Lot also went with Avraham. He ended up in Sdom in the worst problem, because Lot didn't leave it behind. As it says, And Avraham went the way Hashem told him to go. But Vayelech Itay Loit. Why does it say Vayelech Avraham? The Loit. Kashadibi Elav Hashem. He says because Avraham, this time Avraham, left the way Hashem told him. He left all his stuff, his movies, his cameras, his films, his Avodah He left behind. So he became Avraham Avinu. But Lot wasn't the way Hashem said. Lot said, okay, we'll move, but I'm taking all my stuff with me. And that was the difference. And in growth in life, if you want to grow, and I can tell you from experience, from the stuff that I was involved in, you got to leave the stuff behind. To start a new life, to change the way you are, you got to leave the old stuff behind. If you think you can bring it along, it doesn't work. You got to get rid of the old suit to get the new suit. And that was the whole thing of Lechacha. And it was extremely painful for Avraham to leave his language and his family, it was very painful. Don't think it wasn't. It was one of his ten nesiones. And the question that they ask is, the kifshin of Eish, where he jumped into the fire, which was which happened in last week's Pasha, the Torah doesn't talk about it. I would think we'd make a lot more Bali Tshuva if we told over a story about a guy who went against the whole world and jumped into a fire. Oh, big deal. So, Hashem, if Hashem came to everyone in this room and said, listen, get out of New York, right? Get out of America and leave your family. And I promise you, promise you, that I'm going to make you to a big nation, and I got your back. I'm going to take care of you. We're all, we're all out of here. But, guy jumps into a fire. That's cool. That, that's out of here. That's something we need to talk about. And the Torah says the word orkazdom. says nothing, nothing about the fire he jumped in. And it's busy telling us, oh, what a terrible thing. He had to leave his family. So a great tzaddik said two things. No, number one, if the Torah spoke, spoke about him jumping into the fire, then we would learn it that, that you should commit suicide for God. And the Torah doesn't want us to commit suicide for God. That's not our religion. That's a different religion. Our religion, we don't, we don't jump into fires for God. If you have to make a Kiddush Hashem and the three Averis, but otherwise, we would think, oh look, the ultimate Avram jumped into a fire, so the Torah would be talking about what a great thing, he jumped into the fire. It would be the wrong thing. But a beautiful shot that I heard, which is something you should always remember, is said like this. He said, to kill yourself for God takes a moment. To live for God takes a lifetime. That's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to put on tefillin every day 
and keep Taras HaMashpacha and be Shomer Nagiya and wear your tzitzes and keep Shabbos and keep kosher and 613 mitzvahs is a lot harder than jumping into a fire. Fire takes one second, it's over. So the Torah wants to tell us, or Kazdim, jumping to the fire, that's nothing. Living a whole life for Hashem, living a whole life for Torah, that's something. And that's true. It's much harder to live your life for God than it is to die for God. Okay. There is a... Let me just tell you something that happened this week. I, I know I spoke to you last week about stuff that happened. I'll tell you an interesting thought that um, maybe it's a little too deep, maybe it's not a little too deep, I don't really know. But I had this interesting, you know, last week I told you that this, this guy walked in and, and my friend, he was religious and now he doesn't believe in God and he's an atheist and, and, and he eats on Yom Kippur and he eats Chazer and he looks Hasidish and he has a family, blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know, yeah. And who's the, and who's the non-Jewish girl that he's, that he's, that he's, that he's having an affair with? And the guy said, how did you know? And then, no one ever, how could you know? You're a Mephis, you're a Mekubal. And I'm like, no, I'm not a Mephis, I'm a Mekubal. The bottom line is that we're all part of God. And we all know there's a God. And when a guy starts saying there is no God, he's got a reason. And it's got to be something he's doing real bad. That he's got to get rid of God because it hurts him to know if there's a God, he can't do it. So I said, the minute you told me that this guy was a Hasidish guy and he was keeping all the mitzvahs, and all of a sudden, two years, he's an atheist, no. Three years ago, he met some non-Jewish woman, and he's for sure got a woman on the side. And the reason that he doesn't believe, he believes in God, but he has to get rid of God. Get rid of God, you can do whatever you want. And this guy was freaking out, like, how, how did I know that? And I told him, don't even send him to me until he gets rid of this, this affair that he's having. Why am I wasting my time? He knows this is Hashem. What am I going to tell him? He knows. When he gets rid of the affair, we can talk about it. So, I heard very beautiful. It's like, so how can you make a comment like that, Rob Wallstein? What do you mean? Maybe there are Jews that are atheists. Maybe there's really a guy out there that doesn't believe in God. And the answer is, that's like saying that there's a brain cell, right? There's a brain cell in your brain that's telling the rest of the brain, right? It's part of the brain, but it's telling the rest of the brain that you don't exist. Can't. It's one of the cells that's part of a, of a brain. So if it's one of the cells in the brain, it can't tell the rest of the brain that you don't exist. Or it doesn't exist. Because if the rest of the brain doesn't exist, and you're part of the brain, then you don't exist. So, we are all created in the image of God. We are all part of Elohim, of Hashem. Therefore, for you to deny that there is a God, means that you deny your existence. And you can't deny your existence because you exist. So, so, I'm saying, but if we are, we are telling Elohim. It's not a Hebrew book. You're part. It's not, it's not the logical thinking of the brain. The brain cell is part of the brain. So we are part. I'm not talking about you. Fool. You can get up and say, I don't believe Talmud Kim. I don't believe anything. I don't believe, but a neshama, that's what Chazal says, a Jewish neshama in real knows that there's Hashem. How can you say that? How can you make such a comment? How can you make a comment that every Jewish neshama knows? The guy really knows deep down, deep down. No atheist in a foxhole, deep down. He knows Hashem. Maybe he doesn't know there's Hashem. And the answer is, he's part of Hashem. If you're part of Hashem, then you have to know that, then you have to know that there is Hashem. In the subconscious, wherever you want to go. Yeah, there's a lot of Jewish scientists, atheists that say there is no God. Mentally. But the neshama, the neshama of that person cannot deny God. And, and the neshama is connected to your brain. There is a subconscious of a neshama, and that's where, what brings a person back to become a Balchuva. Even people who are very smart people, sometimes they don't even, they're not even, they didn't go to Eshat Torah. They didn't prove them God. They just go for a Shabbos to someone's house and they want to become Jewish. Even though their brain says, you don't have any proof, but the Neshama pulls them. The power of a Jewish Neshama. And I have seen some crazy, crazy stories on the power of a Jewish Neshama. So anyway, I get a phone call. I get a phone call on Matzi Shabbos, last Matzi Shabbos. There's an 11th grade girl from a Beisakov type of school. No God. She decided, there's no God. Rabbi Wallstein, we want you to talk to her and prove her God. I'm like, okay. Come meet me Sunday with Rabbi Max. We'll sit together. And uh, this should be fun. I enjoy this. You know, this is 11th grade. I'm like, okay, let's see what she brings to the table. Right? She sits down. I says, so what's going on in your life? What's happening? I don't believe in anything. So Ezra, Rabbi Max says something amazing. He says, he says, let me tell you something he tells this girl. He says, 
what's this in front of me? She goes, a table. He says, how do you know? It has legs. So do I. Cat has legs too. It's a piece of plastic with legs. High chair is a piece of plastic with legs. High know it's a table. Because I know. He says, what would you do if I tell you I don't believe it's a table? He said, you can't prove to me it's a table. Some guy came up with the word table. That doesn't mean it's a table. I say it's a chair. Some guy came up in America 200 years ago, 500 years ago, Latin. I say it's a chair. Prove to me it's a table. But we know. No, 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 no. Not we know. Prove to me it's a table. He says, I don't need you to prove to me it's a table. He says, table, no table. If I don't believe it's a table, then I'm going to get up right now, because she was sitting on the other side, and I'm going to walk to you, because I don't believe it's a table. I'm going to walk right through the table, because it's not there. I don't believe in it. He says, I'm going to continuously bang into the table, fall over, get a black and blue mark, get a black and blue mark, get a black and blue mark, get a black and blue mark. I can keep screaming for the rest of my life, it's not a table, but I'm going to continuously get a black and blue mark. He says, you know what, girl? You can get up and say, there's no God, there's no God, because you want to call him something else, you don't want to call him anything. It's your whole life, you're going to bump into him everywhere, on every corner, wherever you go. You're going to bump into him, you're going to be saying, not a table, bang! Not a table, bang! Not a sham, bang! Same thing. So here she is in 11th grade, and now she, whoa. Her head's like, you know. I said, I don't know you, and I don't want to insult you. So I'm going to read your mind. She goes, you read minds? I'm like, yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm very careful. I don't read everything. You know, I, I leave some stuff for you privately. I said, I'm going to read your mind. She goes, I heard all kinds of stuff about you. I'm like, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't tell you everything that I can do, but I can look at your eyes, and when I look at your eyes, I see your soul, and when I see your soul, I see everything you ever did. Now, this girl's freaking out. She got, she got the table story down my walls. I said, I'm just going to tell you one thing. She goes, what? I'm like, how long you don't believe in Hashem? She goes, well, I started pretty much doubting him about a year ago, a year and a half ago. I'm like, so when did you meet him? <laughs> she goes, what? I said, you know, the boy that you're talking to, that you're, that you're involved in, involved with. She's a base you're involved with. You know, where am I have the chutzpah to say that? I'm like, when did, when did you meet him? When did this whole thing start? It started like a year and a half ago, two years ago in the summer, didn't it? You met him in a bungalow colony or somewhere in the mountains. This kid is turning not white, is turning green white. How do you know? Who told you? My, th- my therapist now said, Who told you? I'm like, Nobody. I said, You love Hashem. You knew Hashem your whole life. You davened Hashem, you felt Hashem. You had to get rid of him because there was a boy in the way. I said, if you want me to help you, we got to get the boy out of the way. As long as the boy's in the way, there's no room for Hashem. How do you know? Someone told you. I'm like, no, nobody told me. We're not atheists. It's baloney. It's a bluff. It's a bluff. There was a guy that I knew very well. He worked in the office, in the same office building as I did. And he was gay. And he was Jewish. And he was an atheist. Doesn't get much worse, right? <laughs> he was a very nice guy. And brilliant. Brilliant. Went to Yeshiva Flatbush. Brilliant guy. Very artistic. And he used to try to sit down with me and have, you know, he's an atheist, you know, he doesn't believe this, he doesn't really want to talk to me. And I said to him one day, I said, listen, I said, I can't help you. Because as long as you're gay, the Torah says it's a te'eva of Hashem. It's something that Hashem hates. You can't have Hashem. And I definitely can't change what you are. And therefore, you know there's a God, but your lifestyle has no room for God. And therefore, our discussions can't happen. And, I, and, I, and, and we didn't have those discussions. Because if you're doing something that's against Hashem... And you start saying there is no Hashem. If you say there is no Hashem, and you, it, let me put it this way. A guy who keeps the 613 mitzvahs, right? 
I've never met someone who keeps all the mitzvahs and then came to me and said, I keep all the mitzvahs, but I don't believe there's a God. That would be something interesting to talk to. Now, my daughter last night, I had the honor of doing her science homework with her. She's in sixth grade. And we're learning about blue algae that lives in the North Pole because only blue algae can live in sub-frost, you know, degrees, whatever it is. And then we learned about some protozoa and some one-celled amoebas and that they have feet. Amoebas have feet. They're called feet pads. This one-cell thing that you can't even see, that none of us can see, only in a microscope, Hashem created, that it can move, that it has feet. No shoes, you know, but it has feet. And And I'm... just reading, I'm reading sixth grade, bi- sixth grade biology. And I'm like, how could anyone in this world, anyone in this world look at sixth grade biology? I'm not talking a doctor in medical school. Where Hashem created a one-celled being and gave it feet so it can move. And the, a bacteria, that there's good bacteria and there's bad bacteria, and that Listen to this, is godless. Because good and bad, we know everything is equal. So you could say, you're lost in Hashem didn't create anything bad. Why is there bad bacteria? So, listen to this. If you take antibiotics because you have strep, and you take too many or too long, the antibiotics kills bacteria. It will kill the bacteria in your digestive system. Right? In your digestive system. If it kills the bacteria in, the, in your digestive system, the bad bacteria... In your digestive system, I don't want to give you a biology class now, but what does that do? That takes all the waste in your body, like number two, and makes it into a solid form. If you kill all that bacteria, then you have diarrhea. If you have diarrhea, you lose all your nutrients and all the water in your body. So then you got to take another pill, right? If you get that, it's that disease because you ate, you took too much antibiotics, you have to take another pill to replace the bad bacteria that's in your digestive system so that the good bacteria can do its thing. No God, right? Just happened from some monkey, right? Just all this just happened. You got to be absolutely out of your mind. But if there's something in your life that you feel guilty because if there's a Hashem, what am I doing this for? Then you have to get rid of Hashem. But if you get rid of Hashem, like Rabbi Max said, then you have this table in front of you all the time that you say isn't the table that isn't there, but you're running into it all the time. And sooner or later, it's going to have an effect on you. This week's parasha comes off a parasha where Avram Avinu, and I'm just going to, I'm going to finish off with a very deep story. Um, I never said it here, and I'll try to explain it as much as I can. And Bezrat Hashem will tell the story over again, maybe in a few weeks, and go a little bit deeper into it. That's how I'm going to finish. But... You have to understand where Avraham Avinu came from. We only need to know this. He didn't go to about Shuvah Yeshiva. He didn't have a father who was Makar of him. He did it. And I think that we all need to do this also. I know it's very important to learn Torah. And I know it's very important to Davin. But it's also important to come to your own conclusions a little bit. Avraham Avinu did not find God through any other medium but himself. You all know the story of him being in his father's Avoy Dezara store, TV store, right? And they had 52-inch Avoy Dezaras and 42 inches and all kinds of different kinds of Avoy Dezara. And flat screens. flat screens, right? All the new screens, whatever you wanted. Unbelievable. Five shows showing at one time, all the most amazing things, right? And a woman came in and they had Avoy Dezara for everything. For beauty, for muscles, for speed, for money. Whatever you wanted, you could buy an Avoy Dezara for. Amazing, right? And a woman came in, she said, she wants an Avoy Dezara for beauty. She was an old, wrinkled lady. And Abraham Avinu said to her, does this work? Like, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to put it in my house. Said, does it work till now? She goes, that's what you're supposed to do. I don't know. And he said, you're such an old, wise woman. Why would you think that, you know, this thing can help you? Does it put makeup on your face? Do you look younger? Do the wrinkles go away? So he started to go through each of the A guy came in. He said, I'm a very strong guy. I need the other for muscles. He said, does, do you get bigger muscles from this? Yeah, from carrying it home, but that's about it. Like, you know, and, and to make a long story short, he ended up breaking every Avoy Dezara. 
That was him, because he went to each one, he said, you're the Avoy Zara of strength. Okay, you want to mess with me? Let's go. Took a baseball bat, he says, come on, let's see you swing. It didn't swing, he smashed it. He went to the next Avoy Zara, he said, you're the Zara of beauty? No, let me see some beauty. Right? They all didn't do anything. So he smashed them all except one. The biggest one in the mall, his father came home. You know the story since you're little kids. His father came home, he said, what happened here? He said, the big boy broke all the little guys. They had a big fight. His father said, that's crazy, Avoy Zara doesn't do anything, he can't do anything. No, dad, you said it yourself, so what are you selling it for? And that's when, when he got nervous and he, and, he, and he wanted to kill him because Nimrod, the whole story, Nimrod was also selling Avodah the Avodah Zarah Nimrod, and they knew they had to get Avram Avinu out because all of a sudden this little kid found out that the whole thing is an absolute sham, that they're selling a sham, just like watching television, right? You watch television, how many of us waste our whole life? We sit in front of the TV, we watch a sitcom, we watch this, we watch that, and meanwhile, it's not real. Why? Because just like Avram Avodah Zarah, try to talk to it. Right? You're watching a show. Right? Try to talk to it. Hey! How you doing in there? They don't talk back. They have no answers. So it's exactly like him. You know, watching a football game doesn't make you a football player. And watching a baseball game doesn't make you a baseball player. And never poor kids watching all these samurai, crazy, go-bot, robot, schmobots. Right? And they're walking around. My, my own grandson... So a little kid, he's a tzaddik, little Yitzchak. He's a tzaddik, this kid, right? He went to yeshiva this year. He comes home, right? My, my daughters don't have a TV or anything like that. He comes home. Hey, Zaydi, hi. Hi, Yitzchak. Batman! <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm Batman. And my little brother's Robin. I said, you're what? He says, I'm Batman. <laughs> Batman! <laughs> Oh my, oh my goodness. I sent it to Yeshiva to find out that he's Batman. I come home, I'm Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm Avram, Yisrael Yaakov. He's Batman. But I learned, it's an interesting behavior. Because you have this kid who, who, I guess, I don't know, some kid told him or showed him a picture of Batman. Maybe it's on his lunchbox, I don't know, whatever it is. But all of a sudden, he's, he's Batman. So, the things that we watch is the things that we, that we become. But it's really false. Because just like the Avadizar that Avram had, all this stuff is not real. How do you know it's not real? Because you can turn it off. I told that to a girl this week. You can't turn off the world. You can't walk outside this room tonight and say, all trees, gone. All cars, gone. Moon, sun, clouds, gone. Bugs, birds, animals, gone. Water, gone. You know why you can't say that? Because it's real. But on television, you could be watching a hundred soldiers, uh, uh, Hawaii, you know, the, in Nebuchadnezzar days, so there was Hawaii Five O. So they had this huge wave, they were ride, riding this wave. And we as kids, you know, we lived in New York, like, wow, that is so cool to see a wave that size, right? You know, but you turned it off, the wave was gone. You turned it off, the show was over. So anything you could turn off, and it disappears, never was. It's fake. You want Mashiach? You want to live in a world that's real? You got to get real. You got to start connecting to the things that are real. You got to start getting up in the morning and standing by your door for a few minutes and looking at the sky and saying, God, you haven't missed in 5,769 years. You haven't missed a sunrise. That's pretty cool. Sometimes there are clouds, we don't see it. That sun is never late. It's supposed to rise at 533. It don't show up at 535. And it doesn't show up at 532. It shows up at 533. And the next day at 5.39, it shows up at 5.39. Someone is doing this. Something is doing this. Just a sunrise should teach you creation. And that's how Avraham Avinu came to Hashem Echadosh Malchad. He looked at the sun, he said, you're God, you can't stare at me, you can't stare at it. Sun went away. He looked at the moon, it went away. He looked at fire, fire's God. You put your finger and you burn it. Someone poured water, put the fire out. Water's God. Chagadja. Cow came and drank the water. A cow is God. In India, those idiots still think a cow is God. They didn't get past that, right? <laughs> cow is God. Then came a person and chopped up the cow, and it was in kosher delight on a, on a sinal steak. So that can't be God, right? And then the person must be God, because if he can chop up the guy and make him to a sinal steak, and that guy drank the water that put out the fire, Chagadja, he must be God. And then Nebuchadnezzar, someone died. And Avraham Avinu saw this dead body, and he said, how you doing? And it didn't answer. And they put it in the ground, and the worms ate it, and it couldn't do anything. He said... Anything that can't fight a worm can't be God. And he came to a conclusion that all these things in the world are created by one. 
And if you know that, you got nothing to worry about who's president of the United States, and you got nothing to worry about who's Mashiach. You got nothing to worry about because that same God that brings the sun up every morning, He can do anything that we need Him to do. But we need to connect to Him. And therefore, I know there's a lot of fear, and maybe not in you guys, but there's a lot of fear out there, especially in little kids. You have to tell them that there's nothing to fear. Mashiach is a good thing, not a bad thing. When Mashiach comes, the world will know Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. It's a good thing. And just listening to the in shul today, like people are absolutely in a frenzy. Like if he becomes president, I'm packing up whatever it is. Relax. Let's let Hakadosh run the world. Maybe it's good for us. Who knows? We don't know what's good for us. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.